Welcome to the Western New York Entrepreneur Podcast, helping Western New York entrepreneurs take the next step in their business. If you love Western New York and entrepreneurship, this is the podcast for you. Whether you have been in business for 20 years or 20 minutes, there is something for everyone. David Schaub interviews the top entrepreneurs in Western New York so you can take your next step in your own business. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Western New York Entrepreneur. Today's been a great day so far recording this podcast, even though we're only eight seconds into it. Paul Vukalek, the owner of Tri Distribution right here in Lancaster, New York, a fellow Western entrepreneur, gave, gave us a, a tour this morning of the, uh, the entire facility. Of course, we had masks on in case you're wondering and whatnot, but it was great to, to meet Paul virtually over a couple of weeks ago, maybe in a month ago. But now uh, I, I'm here physically and we're able to, uh, to do the podcast. So, Paul, uh, thanks so much for being on with us today. I really appreciate your time. I know you're a very busy guy. Yeah, very welcome, David. Glad to be here with you and uh, share some stories and learn more about what we're all about. Yeah. So, yeah, what's so great about this podcast is we, as Paul, is we get to basically help other entrepreneurs take their next step in their own business, whether it's through hearing through stories or through just really just asking questions that either people submitted or questions that we kind of come up together to kind of draw your expertise and really what you're about and what you believe business is about in Western New York, man. So, Paul, for those that don't know really what tribe distribution is, I doubt they do. They don't. But in case they don't, what is it? And really, how did you uh, build this company up and really just, uh, you know, you know, I guess I'll just start there. Uh, what are you really all about as an entrepreneur, I guess? Sure, David. Appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Um, well, Triad Distributing has been in business for now over 90 years, uh, started by my grandfather. A lot of stories, but my grandfather, you know, typically uh, people that got into this business back when uh, Prohibition ended, gentlemen typically in this case were uh, bootleggers. And uh, my grandfather was probably the most successful bootlegger at the time. Success back in those days was uh, determined based on how fast your boat was. And his boat was really fast. So that's how we uh, originally got into the business. And of course, when Prohibition ended, we were basically formed through the government and government mandates in determining that you know, beer had to go through franchise operations like ourselves. So we're the second tier of a three-tier system from the supplier, which is the breweries, to ourselves, the wholesaler, and then we deliver it to the stores and the restaurants in our geographical area. And we do have a geographical area, which is Erie and Niagara County. That's for our core business here. And then we have a non-alcoholic arm that covers 30 counties across the state, which is uh, called Balkan beverage, and that's primarily the Red Bull brand. So we have agreements with our suppliers, and our largest suppliers are Anheuser-Busch, so the brewers of Budweiser and Bud Light, Michelob Ultra, and uh, Labatt Brewing, uh, which is now FIFCO, which is uh, owned by a Costa Rican company. And then we have a, an array of other brands like Yingling and Heineken, you know, Imports, a lot of local brands. Uh, we'll probably talk a little bit about that later. We also are in the wine and spirits business now. We've been in that for about four years, and uh, that's going very uh, successfully so far. And uh, so that's really about it. So we're obviously we're very ingrained in the community uh, and a lot of events. We, we, we sponsor a lot of the events from the Buffalo Bills and Sabres all the way down to local picnics. Yeah, so that's a lot to unfold, and questions are kind of popping up in my own head despite what we have submitted and what we have written down prior here. But so how long, so give me a timeline. I, I always love timelines. So timeline that you kind of took over the tri distribution business and, and look, and then uh, set the timeline. What is the biggest thing that you think you've learned since doing, since taking over? 
Yeah, great questions. Well, I came into the business uh, when I graduated from college in 1985, and um, obviously been in the business ever since. Actually took over the business uh, as president and CEO in uh, 2000. And uh, boy, what have I learned? I've learned so much. But uh, <laughs> one thing I, I think I've learned is how important it is, you know, especially in our business, that you know, you, know, you establish and maintain key relationships, not only with our suppliers and our breweries, partners, but also with all of our accounts. So whether it's uh, the owner of Consumer Beverages, Neil Cavanaugh, to the president of Tops, uh, all the buyers for the major chains, right down to your neighborhood bar and restaurant. So it's important that we as owners uh, are in the market uh, visiting these accounts, that they get to know you. It's all about relationships at the end of the day. And I think that's I've learned that from day one, and that's still true today. So I'm kind of a very curious person, and I'm sure our listeners, we're over 100 episodes, so you probably realize that I just ask sometimes the most random outlandish questions. But what do you think is like the best way to build a relationship that you found that maybe hasn't worked? You're like, oh, I think this would be a good idea. Like, I don't know, maybe it was, uh, I don't know, maybe a softball thing. You're like, oh, that didn't work out. They don't like softball. Or maybe it was something just just simply a phone call. Like, what do you think is the best way to, to keep those relationships genuine and that they feel appreciated? Right. Well, you know, it's funny. We talked earlier, you talked about the Enneagram. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of different personality uh, measurements out there. But, you know, I, every every account's different. Every person's different in how, in how you approach them. And uh, I think you just you have to be able to feel that out first, be a good listener. You know, we've had some accounts that are very demanding out there and they have to be treated in a different way than somebody that is not as, as demanding. So, again, at the end of the day, we we always had the uh, saying that the customer is always right. Well, that's not really true. They're not always right. But we're always willing to work with them. Mm-hmm. And that's important. So I think the success what we've had over the years is, you know, not only myself, but, you know, all our people, our salespeople in the trade, our delivery drivers, um, you know, quite honestly, our best relationships out there are our delivery drivers with the, with our accounts because they're, you know, they're, they're doing the manual labor. They're the ones who are moving kegs and cases for the accounts and uh, doing what they need to do in the, in their respective uh, bars and restaurants. So, yeah. Yeah. I imagine as obviously the, the truck drivers, they're the ones probably not I say mean the owners necessarily, but they're working with them. So I imagine that's important. So I have two questions I want to ask at once. I'm trying to debate in my head which one I want to ask next. But obviously, you have so many employees. I, I, you showed me the wall. And I mean, I, I couldn't count so uh, that, that high that quick. So how, how many employees does Tri-Distribution have now between you guys and Balkan, which is your, like, uh, I guess we call it your brother company? So we actually have three companies. As I talked about earlier, too, we have uh, another company in the Albany market, 11 count, 12 counties there. Mm-hmm. So between all three companies, we have over 500 employees. So I know that because uh, during the stimulus, first stimulus plan last year, we were taking a look at, uh, you know, when business went awry for everybody, we were looking at uh, doing the PPP program, but then we determined uh, their full-time equivalents hopped over the 500 mark. Yes, we're, you know, probably, yeah, just over 500, about 525. Wow. And obviously, you're not the one managing all those people. So obviously, we have, we have systems in place here. But anything that you've learned over the years since, you know, since 2000 that you're like, man, this system really works a lot better or or maybe there's a, a hiring process of keeping those systems in place so everyone's happy and really just, you know, it's working really well. Anything that kind of sticks out to mind, anything I just said there at all? I, I would just say this. I think when you're maybe not necessarily a system, but people, Right. If you hire the right managers and the right people, 
things take care of themselves. We're always going to have systems. You know, we're a we're a, a union operation uh, here in, in Buffalo with regard to our delivering warehouse. So you have to act a certain way there, right? It's when you're disciplining or talking to people, as opposed to the the non-bargaining unit. So we have. Systems, yes, but at the end of the day, it really comes down to the individual managers and how we manage our people. Whether it's you're, whether you're disciplining somebody or you're trying to mentor somebody, so I've always been a strong believer in hiring the right people, put them in the right seats, and just let them manage. And I think that's important. So uh, that's my management style. I like my people to manage and uh, not worry about what I think or what I would do. I want to know what they want to do. So that's I think good. that's probably the strength. I'm sure they appreciate not being micromanaged either. So uh, nobody likes that. Speaking of harmony, by the way, you know, systems and keeping, you know, uh, we talked about keeping your, uh, you know, good relationships with your partners and whatnot. But obviously, this is a family business. As we mentioned, I saw that really cool photo of you and your, you and the four other brothers there, which is awesome. Uh, But what are some of the challenges you faced in keeping harmony among family members in a family business? Right, right. It can't be, especially with brothers. (laughs) <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. It, it, I think it depends. I think, you know, over, I would say overall, we get probably an A grade for that. And uh, I really credit my parents for that, the way we brought, the way we were brought up. I think separation of years has something a little bit to do that with that too. You know, I'm, I think I'm three years older than my, uh, my next brother down. But, um, you know, we talked about harmony and uh, harmony. I, I can remember my father always talking about keeping harmony in the family. So they're, there's good harmony and there's not so good harmony, right? And um, I think the fact that, you know, we, we've always been honest with each other, I think has helped. I guess the way, best way to break it down, you know, when you look at the five brothers, I had two brothers who, who are now not in the business anymore, two younger brothers. Not everybody wanted to be president of the company. Not everybody wanted to, to be, you know, the so-called big dog. You know, people have, have uh, di- different ways they want to manage and, and run their lives. And, uh, for two of my brothers, that that just wasn't uh, what they wanted, you know, to be uh, to lead happy happy lives. So that helps. Got two other brothers. That uh, my other brother Jeff, who runs the uh, business for us on the eastern side of the state, and uh, my brother Matt now, who's the general manager, who's coming up. He's 15 years younger than me. So uh, that's why I say you spread out the years enough. You know, you, I think you can pretty much have harmony and just treating each other, you know, with respect and being transparent and honest. I think that's been our key. Certainly over the years that we all get along well. We're not, I wouldn't say we're the best of friends, but, uh, you know, we, we get along well and uh, we really respect each other. So I think that's important. Yeah. And I, I think it's really crucial. So I definitely, the age definitely helps too as well. Cause if it's back to back years, you know, you can get, you can get a little, uh, a little yeah, I would just say this too, that I, you know, again, I, I think it's just important that, uh, that, that you get along. And I think what's also good, the other really big piece of it is that we're a big enough business. You know, we can spread around the wealth, so to speak. So you can take a leadership role in the company. I think that's important too. I, I totally agree. So that being said, you know, it's a pretty broad question, but I do want to ask you, because I know I, I always think about that when we see these bigger companies in the area, like, man, what are their keys to success? Because as you're very well aware, the world is changing pretty fast paced. It's hard to keep up with everything. So what do you believe are your are the keys to success here in entrepreneurship or as a, as a business owner? Yeah, good question. I First and foremost, you know, we, we call our employees stakeholders. And that really means a lot to us. We, we give them the stake, a stake in the company. And that's S-T-A-K-E. Mm-hmm. So every year, based on the performance of the company, we provide uh, everybody in the company, including our bargaining unit, which we negotiated uh, probably about six, seven years ago into the contract, a profit sharing plan and program. 
we've been doing profit sharing since the mid '90s, and since the mid '90s, we've we've made a contribution to their 401k program every year. So we'll do anywhere from you know two percent up to fifteen percent of their annual wages. They'll get in a profit sharing. So that's that's important. I think um, people feel that they, they 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 it means something to them. I think it brings loyalty to us. So I think that's important. So you got to treat them as uh, owners of the company, and that's what we do. The other thing is we treat our people with dignity and respect. You know, we give them. My father has always used that we give them di- dignity from day one, and that's I would agree with that 100 percent. No matter who you are in our company, what job function you perform, we always have an open door policy. You're always welcome, no matter who you are. And uh, I never, very rarely close my door unless I'm in a Zoom meeting, of course. But uh, you know, I, that's you know that's very important to us. Um, yeah. Anything else that sticks out to you? Yeah. Um, those are probably be, those are probably be the key, but I think, you know, as an owner of the company, we've always had a, uh, been very important to us that we're visible, right? So, you know, we, we took a walk earlier in the warehouse and, uh, you know, we have that management rule about, you know, managed by walking around, right? MBWA. So that's always been important to us that our people see us daily and know that, uh, you know, we're in, uh, we're in the, in the business, we're out in the trade, working with them, helping them sell. I think that's important. Are you looking to buy or sell a home this year or in the near future? My name is Inas Latif. I'm an associate broker and a team leader of one of Western New York premier teams, ranking in the top 1% year after year. We service our clients with the highest level of integrity and expertise. So please reach out to me at 716-417-4755 and I'll be happy to help. Yeah. So for our listeners out there, I always have to stop every, you know, five, 10 minutes or so. Whenever I think is a good point, I want to ask you guys that question. You mentioned a key to success, really just giving people ownership in the company. Well, you're like, Dave, I have like two employees. You know, we don't have, you know, all that right. But my point is that how can you give them a stake in the company in terms of not actually a, a stake, like STA, <laughs> but really just how can you have them create ownership in your own way so they feel like it's a, it's a bigger part of just getting a paycheck, going to work, and what's the least I can do to get paid? So what do you think in your business then that you can take a next step and to give ownership or a, a sense of pride or, again, creating your own little stake in the company that are with them? Because, again, people rise to the occasion, I believe, that we call them to, and then our actions proceed after that to, 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 to back that up. It's not just words, right? So again, one of my favorite quotes are, I can't hear what you're saying because your actions are speaking too loud. So again, our actions have to go through that. And so clearly, Paul, you've done that, having over 500 employees doing it for as long as you have, man. So speaking of culture, by the way, what kind of culture do you do you nurture in, in tribe distribution? Again, I, 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 we, have, we have core values in the company that we really, you probably saw the signs, you know, when you were walking into the uh, into the business and we pretty much have them everywhere. And that really sets the tone for our culture. And um, I'll, I'll just read off the, uh, the five core values mm-hmm. just to, for expediency says, but uh, mm-hmm. you know, our, we, we win, we own, we care, we produce and we deliver. Mm-hmm. Right. So along with each one of those values is a descriptor of, you know, what we're about. So, right. So I think that is important. We actually reward our stakeholders uh, with pins and uh, monetary awards, if if they do something extraordinary, you know, do some maybe sell an account a uh, certain product, or you know, I'm trying to remember, you know, recently uh, we had a, you know drivers that will go out there and typically they're not our salespeople, but they'll go out of their way to 
to, to, to see an opportunity. So we'll reward them for that. So I think that's important. They, and they want to know what's going on in the company, right? So I think transparency is very important. You know, when we, you know, we review results with them on a regular basis, we do quarterly reviews throughout the company. Uh, we're actually um, uh, taping them now. We'll do them live on Zoom, and then we'll tape them for our delivery warehouse people, which we're actually covering uh, covering them with them this week. So they'll, they'll get a review of how we did in the last quarter, and now they also will find out, you know, what our company plans are for this year and what's going to be the important drivers for our success. So I think that's just being transparent. People want to know what's going on. They want to know how we're doing. I can't walk through the warehouse with somebody saying, hey, you know, how things going? You know what? Geez, I, I saw, you know, I saw this, you know, product. How's it doing? And, you know, they really are generally interested in in, in, the, in learning about that. They just don't want to do their job and, and go. For the most part, people really are interested in how we're doing. And that's obviously, I think I couldn't agree with you more because, you know, back, you know, I mean, I don't know because I'm 33 years old, but maybe back years ago, maybe that, that was good enough. But today it's people actually want to feel like what they're doing matters and, and they're part of something bigger than themselves. And they're really part of a, a great culture. And again, um, I think that's so, I think that's the, the number one reason for even retaining people, let alone motivating them to do more. I do want to get to some questions from some people. So again, for those that don't follow me on Facebook or specifically more of LinkedIn, make sure that you do because uh, I'm always asking, hey, what should we ask these people that are coming up? So I asked like, hey guys, we have the owner of Tribe Distribution for the podcast. What should I ask them? And uh, so Hayden, man, Hayden Bell, uh, thanks for the question. Uh, his wife owns a, a gluten-free bakery and is mostly in wholesale with local grocery stores. I know obviously, you know, things are different with a bakery and, and, and you know, and food and whatnot, but in your opinion, what is the best way approach distributors i guess i'll go with that that question first so if you're a supplier looking for somebody to distribute your product yeah so we we probably get uh, two or three inquiries a week mm -hmm. from different craft breweries or different suppliers you know we just last week got a request from a actually one of our suppliers currently who's going to may, be making a cbd soda but if you're if you're new and uh, new to the market, I, I can tell you for us it's it's very difficult to get into to our house unless you have a lot of support. So I, I think I would say even whether you're a bakery or you're a brewer, I think if you're looking to enter a market that you want to make sure that you have enough support for your product, and whether it's people, right, or you know programs to help sell your product, whatever it might be, the right pricing, I think that's important. At the end of the day, you know, we make our decisions based on that. What kind of support is that is that person, that supplier company going to give us to, to help, you know, promote, sell their products and be more successful? Oh, very, very important. Yeah. So do you, do you ask for like a pitch deck? Do you ask for this? Yeah. Basically, you need to be on numbers and all that. Kind of like a shark tank. Huh? How, how, uh, questions are, how many of you sold so far? Where are you distributing it? Right. So I, that's why I figured. But. Yeah. The pitch is important, obviously. And uh, we'll, we'll, I, I let my salespeople make that decision, quite honestly. You know, I won't uh, very rarely will I make a unilateral decision where we're doing this. Yeah. But, you know, I let, let them decide because they're the ones who ultimately have to uh, have to sell the product. But you're right. They, they pitch. And I, one thing I'll say we're we were pretty open about letting people present too. I always, you know, I've always been a strong supporter, especially of our local craft breweries, yeah. and to the point where we've probably got about ninety percent of them that we're distributing for right, right at this time, and they're all doing very, uh, very well and very successful. Yeah. So next question you wrote, and again, you don't have to answer this because I know everything is so different and, you know, no, there's no general, it's hard to ask a, uh, a general question because everything is so specific to its industry, but any advice on packaging when shipping or anything about, or any thoughts on contract language on, in terms of damaged product? I know it's kind of very specific and I know you have a lot of employees that handle that, but any thoughts that you want to throw out there at all? Yeah. I mean, all of our contracts, all of our partnership contracts have, uh, 
points in there that uh, that allow for damaged products. So if a product is delivered here, from you're talking about from the brewery itself that comes in here, yes. So we all have you know contract language in there that uh, supports them you know being responsible for that and pay it. We just have to take pictures of it and account for it, and then we. Um, then most cases we'll crush it and and get rid of it. The other side of the business for us is on the our delivery side when we just when we deliver to the stores. So for example, we'll deliver a case of Budweiser to a store. Say that gets damaged, you know, on the shelf or whatever it might be. Uh, we can't pick up that product. Uh, we're not allowed to pick up that product by law. So we don't really need a contract for that, <laughs> luckily. But um, so that those are the two sides of the damage story for us. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks for answering that. Uh, next one is Jonathan Grimaldi. John, thanks for, for uh, popping this question in. How has Triad impacted the growth of local breweries? And which local brewers does he believe, you, Paul, believe that the markets their product well and why? I thought that was a really good question. Yeah, I love that question. I was hoping we were going to be able to talk a little bit about the, the local craft scene. Honestly, I'll probably go back four or five years. Our total craft portfolio, we represented about 15% of the market. So our major competitor had obviously the lion's share of that business. And at that time, you know, it was, again, as the leader of this company, you know, I, I really thought it was important for us to really uh, get after, and this is where the relationship part comes in. And I took that on personally to make sure that we got to know all the local breweries. So when they were ready, and I, I did that in an honest way, quite honestly, it was just not strategic, it was in an honest way, because I really care and I really want them to, to perform well. And um, to the point now, we, we actually, now once we got a few of them in, we started a program. Uh, myself uh, came up with the idea as well as uh, John Sipperman from 42 North, a program called Buffalo Local. You might have heard about it. You might have seen us around. And uh, it's basically a program that helps market all our local brands. So all the local breweries are a part of that. We pool our money, sponsor events, wearables, whatever it might be to help promote those brands locally. Now, we also promote them individually, but there's strength in numbers, right? In the budget, the whole nine yards. So I've always been a big advocate of local. In fact, when we first took on Flying Bison, which was the first local crap brand, uh, they were basically bankrupt and uh, we were able to support them. We actually prepaid for our products. We could make it and sell it back to us. So that's uh, that's very always been very important to me to support the local entrepreneur and uh, boy, favorite. I'm, I, you know, I'm gonna play. Uh, it's not fair because they're right. I'm going, I'm they're going neutral it. on that, yeah. Because I, I, what I can say though is, of all of our local brands, and again, we have most of them, and even the ones we don't have, they all make really good beer. There's not a bad brewery in the lot. You know, there's, you know, there's some breweries you, you know, in other states that you go to and you try their beer, and like, wow, this is really bad. And those guys usually don't last too long, right? But one thing I can say is that everybody is really up their game here locally because. You have to. If you know, people are people in Buffalo love beer, and uh, you have to make really good beer to do well, and and all of them do that. So I've enjoyed working with all of them. Yeah. So since we're not getting specific on on who promotes it well, what do you think? What well, do you I can th- talk about that. I mean, I can talk about you know who promotes it well. I mean, I think uh, they they all do it differently, right? What do you think makes What do you think makes a, a product promoted well in your opinion? In, in terms of like. You know, I guess I use the word brewery because that's kind of what we're talking about. But how do you think a, a product can be promoted well? Like, what do you think? Maybe something kind of sticks out to mind there. Yeah, again, these these are all small companies, so they're not, they're not going to have big marketing budgets, right? But I think the, the ones that are doing and marketing their brands well are the ones that are really strong on social media. 
So I think they're all getting much better at it. But I, you know, a couple that really stand out are, um, I would have to say, Community Beer Works does a very, very good job of that. Always on Resurgence does a nice job. Hamburg Brewing. So 42 North, they, they, those, those are four that really stick out in my mind that really do a nice job. They really do. They all, they all do a, a very good job, but these guys really stand out just with the, the amount that they get out there and, mm-hmm. and the amount of uh, followers they have. And so I think that's uh, very important. Yeah, and I think one thing I've noticed from being all, all those, they have a really good environment. When you walk in, it's a cool, it's a unique environment. It's opening, it's welcoming. It's got that feel of Buffalo to, okay, this is this is uh, an older building, or it's got that rustic feel, but you can tell that it's just so taken care of, and it's uh, it's got some history to it. So Yeah, yeah, exactly. I love it. So that being said, we only have a few minutes left, Paul. So I want to open this up to you. Do you think there's anything that we missed that entrepreneurs right here in Western New York, do you think that, like, again, maybe a key to success or something you think is – done really well for you or maybe something that you want to talk about in terms of business uh, or entrepreneurship that maybe maybe almost answer this question. I mm-hmm. really think that maybe we missed the ball on blank with entrepreneurship or this is really important in entrepreneurship. Yeah, I think probably the one thing I would say is, you know, to be a anybody can be an entrepreneur, I think, just just relative to you know your success, how successful you are. We, we, we instituted uh, uh, level 10 management systems here probably about two years ago. And the one one big aspect of that is who's the visionary in the company, and I, I would say that. And you, typically, it's the leader of the company. And but I, you know, when, when I think about that, and I think of, I, I think that's spot on as it relates to entrepreneurship. You have to be a visionary. You have to you have to be able to. Like I'm always thinking, like, what's our next move? You know, mm-hmm. where what are, you know, whether it's wine and spirits or you know, starting Buffalo local. What's our next move to be you know new, unique, and different? Uh, that help that can help grow our business. So I think that's very important. That you know, I think all all successful pro- entrepreneurs have that visionary aspect to them. I think it's I think it's so true. So again, let me let me let me ask the last question, you guys, the the listeners out there, uh, guys and ladies. What do you think that is your next move? What do you think is something that you've been maybe holding back on in terms of being a visionary on, or what is something that's kind of, maybe it's died a little bit. Maybe it's just, Oh, I've been kind of doing the same thing for five, six years. It's been working. But again, when I feel like when we're truly alive is when we're pursuing something that might be, Oh, that'd be cool. But man, that'd be a lot of work or I'm not sure how it's going to work. I'm not sure how it's going to unfold, but let me figure that out. So what do you think that is for you as an entrepreneur? Cause I'm a big believer that when you're not growing, you're dying. When you're just stagnant, you think you're just you're in the middle, neutral, but really you're falling behind. So things change very rapidly. So I think, as, as Paul alluded to, that we need to have vision for our company, even when we're are very successful, or even when we're in the very beginning where we're not so successful. We have to keep the vision going because then people people perish, right? Uh, and not not in that uh, morbid way, but in the way of. People just don't follow anymore. They just don't care to be along for the journey. People want to be a part of a journey and what they're doing, what they're following for brands anyway. So, Paul, man, I, again, I appreciate your time. I, I know you're that uh, you're very busy and uh, you, get, you gave me a, the tour today and I appreciate that. You didn't just kind of get me in and out. So that being said, for those that that uh, really just you know appreciate your store, maybe they have a question again that I just don't have an answer to, or we I forgot to ask it to you. What is the best way to contact you? And whatever you feel comfortable. Some people put their email. You know, one guy put his. I think Paul Simonelli put his cell phone out. I I was kind of surprised by that. But my point is, whatever you feel comfortable. If someone wants to reach out to you, not to pitch you, but to to get your ideas and something. Yeah, probably the easiest way to get a hold of me rather than. You know, give out my long email address is just, you know, look us up in the book or call us on, call me on the phone at, uh, you know, our our number here, business number, which is uh, 716-651-3551. 
And, um, yeah, you should be able to get a hold of me. Yeah. yeah. Paul's not hiding. So, uh, not hiding at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, uh, uh, anyways, thanks for your time, Paul. And again, I really appreciate it. Thank you, David. Glad to do it. If you loved listening to the Western New York Entrepreneurs Podcast and want more, subscribe to it and head on over to WNYEntrepreneur.com for articles, what's coming up next, and to get involved. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.